You're listening to the Writers Off The Page podcast. Here's your host, writer, reader, journalist, and lover of soy latte, Sinead Maripodi. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining me for Writers Off The Page, where I sit down with authors to find out the story behind their stories and their top tips for getting published. Genevieve Novak writes romantic comedies, content, and really long text messages. Her debut novel, No Hard Feelings, is out now with HarperCollins. Genevieve, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Now, I've been binge reading No Hard Feelings this week, and it's absolutely hilarious. I'll get you first before we get into things to tell people a little bit about it. Sure. So, I mean, the line that I've been using recently is that it's um, a rom-com about a nervous breakdown. (laughs) Um, Basically, uh, we meet a 20-something who's just in the throes of a career crisis and a bad relationship and friendships that she's outgrowing, and it all happens at once and she has to figure it out. Um, So it's a lot of fun, but it's a little bit too real for some of us as well. I was going to say it does sound pretty realistic, particularly for the 20s, but I'm in my 30s, so even even 30s, still relevant. <laughs> yeah, I'm still, I'm only in my early 30s now, but it hasn't, it's improved a lot, but it's not all better just on the, on the stroke of my 30th birthday, unfortunately. But nothing is ever as bad as your 20s and certainly not as bad as 27 specifically is a very difficult year for everyone. I think so, because you're kind of thinking about 30 approaching and there's always this pressure that everyone says things are going to change when you hit 30 Mm. or people have life goals that they want to achieve by 30. And am I right that one of yours was that you wanted to have this book written by the time you were 30? So that was, um, I'd always intended to write a book. I went to uni to be a writer and I work as a writer. So the novel was always a plan. Um, But then, yeah, 30 was approaching and uh, COVID had hit. So that kind of derailed a lot of other milestones I might've hit, you know, if I'd had relationship milestones or maybe I wanted to buy an apartment or something, COVID made that difficult to do. And so it was, well, I guess I got nothing else, nothing else to do. I'd better, better get this done. So um, set out to get that done by my 30th birthday. And I think I submitted it off to publishers with about 10 days to spare. So just under the line. So it was just that the manuscript itself had to be finished, not that you had to have a published book ready by the time you were ready? Yeah. If I'd thought of that goal maybe six months earlier, then um, that that might have been possible. But uh, no, it just needed to be finished and ready to be submitted. And I was, you know, happy with that and achieved that by the skin of my teeth. Had you already started the manuscript before you decided that? No. So I think I must have been kind of in the second half of, being 28 when I kind of it kind of hit me that oh yeah 30 is that's coming up real soon so I that was the the kind of kick that I needed to get started Um, and I'd had a character like Penny kind of bouncing around for a long time but I'd never written anything this long before and didn't really know how to start it so this um, as much as I had wanted to write a rom-com with someone like Penny um, I had kind of yeah, start from from scratch. So it was just time to to go. So did you get to know Penny then over the course of the first draft, or did you do a bit of planning before you started? Uh, I I had planned, and then that all went out the window when I started writing her. And the better I got to know her, she was quite well developed, and um, it was me figuring her out rather than going. And it would be interesting if she liked capsicum or something you know I wasn't there wasn't a lot for me to add in it was more about making sense of this very fully formed character that 
I, you know, put through hell. <laughs> You've probably been asked this by a few people. Is it in any way autobiographical? Uh, I do get that question a lot. <laughs> and I think, you know, that's pretty normal for a, um, a first novel. Always seems like the most personal one. It's, you know, the story that you carry with you your whole life. Um, I have certainly experienced all the things that Penny has in that I've had bad boyfriends and jobs that I've loved and hated and mental health crises and things, but it didn't, none of that happened in the same way and certainly it didn't happen all at once. So I, um, yeah, took a lot of really common experiences and just threw them all at one person all at once. I do have to say I laughed out loud when I got to your thank yous, your acknowledgements at the end of the book (laughs) and that very last line you've written, all the boys I loved in my 20s who are searching these pages for scar tissue. Thank you for giving me something to write about. And in brackets, you've put, except you, prick, and I could not stop laughing. That I'm was pretty gone. proud of that one. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the person that that's about will, number one, think that it's about him, even if it wasn't. And, no, he'll know. That's fine. And he won't get to read it until he's paid for the book, which is the best, best part. I have to laugh though because you would particularly given that Penny throughout the novel is kind of one of the big things that she's dealing with is relationships and a certain boy who keeps stringing her along and Mm. her friends are in relationships or in or out of them and it would be that natural thought I feel like if someone did read it and they had been in a relationship Mm -hmm. or dated you in the past to go "Mm, Mm hmm that me at all and I think that they would be hoping that they were the Leo because I have to say I fell in love with Leo. He is just gorgeous. Leo is a lovely little little cupcake and all Maxes think they're Leos and, no, there are more more Maxes than Leos. And that's been the um, kind of overwhelming feedback that I've got from people reaching out to me on Instagram or my email um, is that, oh, my God, my Max, is it about me? I have, you know, I have a Max. We all have a Max. Everyone has a Max in some dimension or another, whether it's as extreme or not is another thing, but everyone has a Max. (laughs) Everyone has some version of a Max. He is an archetype that none of us uh, are spared from in our our 20s. That's a a real sad learning experience that we all, maybe we don't have to go through, but we all have. I've done it a couple of times. I've got a couple of Max. (laughs) (laughs) I have to say you did so well with the characterisation of Penny. I laughed a lot with her, but my heart also broke for her so much. And at times I just wanted to reach into the book and shake her. And to have that sort of reaction as you're reading does mean that you've been pulled into the book in every way possible by the writing and that yeah. it's become quite quite real, I suppose, as you're going into it. So you just mm. did so, so well with it. So how many drafts Thank did it end you. up taking you? Um, the very kind of pretentious answer to that is that I don't do clean drafts. I don't write from chapter one to chapter 40 and then start again and go through it cleanly. I do the annoying kind of anxious thing where I have to get each thing exactly perfect before I can move on to the next thing. And I might get 10 chapters in and realize, oh, that thing in chapter two that changes everything fundamentally. I have to do that right now. I can't wait until the end of this draft to go back and change it. So um, in terms of complete drafts, probably two. Um, but in terms of how many times I rewrote even little bits and pieces, more like 50. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, the poor, poor Penny got, got put through all of it. And there were better things and worse things that I tried on throughout it. But in the end, I think she, she got just as much torture as she needed to grow. 
<laughs> so what was the plan? So you had until you were 30 to get this manuscript mm-hmm. done. You were working full-time at the same I was, um, but I, so I work in digital, so we translated to work from home pretty easily. Um, I'm in Melbourne, so we got hit with the brunt of lockdown for for two years. So, um, and I live alone, so I basically had nothing to do for two years, um, which was the perfect excuse to to get that done. So, um, yeah, no, it was just sit down and, and write. And I probably got to probably about 80% of the way through before I realised all the things that had to change to get it into its final place. It's a pretty big goal to write a manuscript and I think when people set off on it, it does seem like an absolute mountain to climb, not to use that cliche, but it it really is. is. (laughs) Was there a point at all that you kind of fell off the bandwagon and was like, this is a dumb challenge, I'm not doing it? (laughs) Yeah, about 20 times. (laughs) And I went through the kind of, I oscillated between this is brilliant and this is terrible. And um, especially once I kind of started leaning into the the therapy side of things, because I'd initially set out to write just a straight, rom-com and maybe the character was a little bit neurotic but there wasn't a mental health track through it um I started going oh this isn't a rom-com anymore this is just an awful like drama piece with a couple of light tones through it and then I'd swing to the other side and say that I was really trivializing the mental health and focusing too much on the rom-com so it was hard to find both the balance that I was comfortable with and also the objectivity to know okay, we've struck a good balance between these two. Um, but I gave up multiple times um, and then came back to it because I just couldn't couldn't forgive myself if I turned 30 and felt like I had nothing to show for it. I think bringing in that mental health angle, even, I mean, you've got the group text with Penny and her mm-hmm. friends, you've got her texting the boys that she's seeing. It has made it very much a rom-com of this time really rather than your old school rom-com that's a little bit outdated now this is very Mm -hmm. much anyone living right now Mm -hmm. in their 20s in their 30s maybe even in their 40s would very Mm -hmm. much be able to relate to this I think it is yeah and I mean the kind of the group chat thing and the the text messages um had to be part of it because how many times do you go on a you know a first date and then just obsess about being left on red or you get a weird message on tinder and you need to analyze it with your friends um and especially you know I don't get to see my friends you know once a week for coffee we it's so hard to stay in touch when we just have whole lives going on of course the group chat has to run through it that's just how you stay in contact with people if I had to wait to see my friends I would see them three times a year and it would just it would you know the friendship isn't sustainable in the same way without without that thread going through it even the tension of just the dot dot dots that mm-hmm. exists now mm-hmm. the, the unsaid of yep. the dot 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 people read into it so much and it just adds this whole yeah. other level mm-hmm. of stress and pressure yeah. to friendships, to relationships, to everything. It was just perfect, including that in there. No, absolutely. We've all we've all felt that, and especially a character like Penny, she's going to feel the weight of every ellipsis that, that she sees, and she's going to read all the subtext into any kind of text. You know, there's nothing that's going to drive someone like Penny crazier than just receiving the letters OK from someone. What does that mean? There are so many things that OK could mean. Does he mean, is he upset? 
Is he angry? Is he ch- what's going on? She needs, yeah. <laughs> it's a, a playground that's rife for neuroses with Paul Penny. <laughs> um, so it's one thing to get the book written, and you did that by the time you turned 30. Mm-hmm. A whole nother thing to get it published. Yeah. Then what happened? Uh, so to get it from, hmm, good question. Um, we've finished. You already the next done script. your research and you knew in terms of. You wanted a manuscript assessment. You wanted to approach publishers' agents directly. Yeah. So, I mean, part of, like, throughout the the writing process, I was part of a a small writing group. So it had been through a kind of panel in that way of very objective writers who mostly write sci-fi and fantasy or kind of more hardline literary fiction. So I'd got plenty of objective eyes across it but I was really aware that the Australian publishing industry is very small and there are only so many impressions that you can make and it's um you know you don't want to send someone a manuscript that you've worked so hard on and have them hate it and then never respond to one of your emails again so um to kind of um guard myself against that I sent it off to a manuscript assessor and she gave me you know a handful of of notes that she was happy with and uh, made those changes and we worked through my submission documents together Um, so I wrote the pitch and I wrote the synopsis and that was so much harder than writing the book (laughs) itself was figuring out wait what I just wrote 80,000 words I have no idea what this book is about. It's not about anything. I can't write a synopsis about this. Um, Finally got that written and she'd given me, the manuscript assessor had given me a list of agents that she thought might be a good fit for a novel like this, which was very generous of her and and unexpected, but obviously very welcome. Uh, So I submitted off to, I think, five different agents and heard back from four of them. Um, which was a lovely result. And um, from there, I picked the one that I responded best to. Um, Her name is Jane Novak, no relation, but I would happily let her be my big sister. Did you feel like it was a sign, the surname being the same? I think it helped. And I think think she mentioned um, when we first spoke that she opened my email because she thought, is this a long lost relative? Will I be in trouble if I don't respond to this? So I'll take it, whatever gets, whatever gets the email read. Um, And from there we picked four publishers and submitted to them and ended up getting offers from three. So it was a pretty, um, pretty lovely charmed process um, for, you know, having spent years dreading the, um, the submission process and just imagining, you know, my baby in the bottom of a slush pile and completely ignored um, was a, you know, a nightmare that I'd been having for months at the time, but certainly years of my life. Um, so it was, yeah, a pretty lovely, easy process, all things considered, and given the, you know, the rumours that you, you hear about how awful it is to submit and find a publisher. I'm going to take you back a second. So when mm-hmm. you decided to get your manuscript assessed, mm-hmm. how did you go about actually finding the person that was right for the um, assessment? So I literally just Googled manuscript assessment Melbourne and the um, one of the first results that came up was Nadine Davidoff um, and I liked the look of her website and I liked her credentials. She had been an editor at Penguin for a long time and I'd read a handful of the books that she had on her site as part of her portfolio. And so I thought, sure, I like this lady's vibe. I'll email off to her. And yeah, so I just went with yeah, the first response. Uh, the first return on my Google search was the one that I went with. So good SEO there. 
<laughs> and having done the manuscript assessment, were you prepared for the edits that came with the publishing team? Did you feel like it was intense or were you open to edit? Um, so because I had I'd done a creative writing degree at uni and a lot of that is a lot of workshopping and, um, you know, you hand out something that's very personal to a group of strangers basically for their feedback and opinions. Um, and then you do the same with the writing group. So I kind of learned to distance myself from my work as much as you ever can. It's always inherently personal um, and, you know, vulnerable to share something like that with, with people. Um, but in, you know, in as much as I could, I was prepared for the editing process and at least, um, Logically, I could understand that they were edits of language rather than criticisms of myself. Um, so I was as prepared as you can you can ever be. But um, because I'd gone through so many rounds of edits and taken it to the manuscript assessor and edited it some more within an inch of its life, there really weren't any structural edits to make to the manuscript by the time it was time to get there. So apart from a you know, a handful of rounds of, of line edits and little inconsistencies that, I, that I'd missed just because you can never be purely objective about your work. Um, yeah, this editing process was pretty painless. Were there any big things that you learned during it? Um, in terms of myself, of the writing or in, um, probably in, in terms what? of yourself and the writing, because I know that obviously everyone's manuscript is very different and everyone mm -hmm. would have different feedback. But I know that sometimes there are little things that are common common things that perhaps people do that mm -hmm. if you gave a tip maybe someone look at their manuscript and go oh actually mm -hmm. I think I've done that too yeah um I mean my own like the best advice is always to put it in a drawer for as long as possible and then come back to it clean and um you know and refreshed and you'll realize bits and pieces that work and don't work um and I also learned too far into the manuscript, and I'm in the same spot again um, in the one that I'm currently working on, that you have to constantly be reading as you're writing, not because you'll be influenced by other people's work, but just because it keeps your brain churning and it pulls you out of your own little bubble of being laser-focused on one little thing and you can't let go of it and someone else's work removes you from that space. So, um, yeah, the need to constantly be reading, whether in or outside of your genre, is paramount. And I wish that I had done it at the time and I wish that I was doing it again now. <laughs> Do you, when the times that you have done it, have you found it more useful to be in the same genre or outside of it? Um, I found it more useful to be inside my genre just because I'll revisit old favourites so that I'm not, um, you know, it's a comfortable place, I know the plot and I just get to get swept up in, in the entertainment of it. So I can read things like Zoe Foster Blake books because I've read The Wrong Girl a million times. Like, you know, it's a lovely little piece of Australian rom-com. It's perfect. Um, I can reread that and go, oh, yeah that thing, that fun tone of voice, it's all it's being pretty heavy for three chapters. I need to snap it back with a light and peppy one to, to balance it out. Um, so I found it better in, in my own genre, but other people might not. It might be easier to, you know, get a deeper perspective from going from a rom-com to, you know, read a, a fantasy novel and get a totally different mindset. So how long did it take in the end? You had the book wrapped up just before your 30th birthday. Mm -hmm. From there, signing a contract to actually having a physical book in your hands? Uh, nine months. So oh, wow. Really, 
really that is fast. super quick. Yeah. Um, it went from, I, yeah, I must have submitted in June, July, must have been when we were ready because my, my birthday is June. We probably submitted by late July latest. And then it was on shelves on the 30th of March. So super, super quick. Wow. Yeah. That is phenomenal. Everyone else is usually talking about how slow the publishing process is. Yeah, and I was prepared for that and it wasn't (laughs) at all. And, of course, it felt like a million years when we were between, you know, it would be a month before it went to press and all I would think about was how long it was taking and I just want a copy of it and I just want people to read it and I just want it all to happen now. Um, But now that it's been and gone, it was a very quick experience. Now, your debut author Mm-hmm. I'm preparing for a debut novel to be released. Very I'm in the very exciting. early stages of edits. Tell me what was the launch actually like? Did you get to have one with lockdown and everything? So I, um, because it was a debut thing and because um, booksellers have been a little bit nervous to launch events and things are only kind of starting to pick up now, I, um, the publisher, um, we organised a couple of signings and bits and pieces like that and we have a couple coming up as well, but a launch party in the way that I always thought of it was more up to me um and it was at the um urging of my therapist that I go ahead with it and do something big and and properly celebrate this thing um because at the time I was just fine I just won't do it I'll just Mm -hmm. launch the thing and go out for a nice dinner and that'll be it um but no my therapist pressured me into throwing a party and I'm really glad that I did because it's so important to celebrate those milestones and do something lovely and memorable. Um, but it was easily the most stressful day of my entire life. And <laughs> I never have to have a book launch ever again. And that's wonderful. But you can if you want to. I can, but I don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> Were you confident putting it out into the world? Was it stressful knowing? I mean, it's one thing to show, it's mm. nerve wracking enough to show publishers or assessors, but putting it out there for everyone to read. How'd you feel? Terrified of (laughs) of that, of just general public, because of course you go between like, no, I'm a writer, I am skilled and I'm proud of this work. People are going to respond well to it. And then the minute it's out of your hands, it's, oh, I have no talent. I have no skill. Everyone's (laughs) going to hate it. And they're going to know how dumb I am. And they're going to make fun of my book. And it's going to be the most embarrassing thing of my life. Um, so that is a terrifying moment. More terrifying is my family reading it and kind of getting that insight into my brain. Not that, not that Penny is me and not that there's anything in there that I'm embarrassed of them knowing that I've thought about, even in a character sense, but it's just, it's fiction is very intimate, Mm. whether it's about you or not, it's still I would yeah, sooner give someone a copy of my diary than reading some of the fiction that I've written because, yeah, it's a really intimate and vulnerable thing to share. My dog agrees. Good thing to agree on. Did you read reviews or did you make some sort of rule with yourself about them? No, obsessively have read every single review that's come through. I love that you're honest about that because I'm really surprised when people are like, oh, no, no, I don't read reviews. I don't need that. I'm like, how? How would you not read them? It is probably healthier not to, but no, I have obsessively read every single comment that anyone has made ever. And some of it is wonderful. And overwhelmingly, the feedback has been super duper lovely um but there have been a couple of people who just didn't connect with it or read it in the way that it was meant to be read and I am obsessed with them (laughs) did you have a a way of um either preparing yourself for them or 
recovering from anything that maybe wasn't as nice as you thought it should be? I mean, I guess the the preparation for it is knowing that there have been really popular and really critically well-received books that I haven't enjoyed or connected with um, and people will gush about how wonderful they are and I'll just be like, what are you talking about? That book sucked. Why is everyone obsessed with this? <laughs> um, so knowing that, you know, that my lack of connection to a particular text doesn't mean that it's bad trying to remind myself of that every time there's someone who doesn't respond well to to my work. Yeah, it doesn't mean that it's an objectively bad piece of work, even if they have said this is a terrible piece of work. Um, It's more about them than it is about me or my work. It's just we don't all connect to the same work. It's That's what makes it so special when you do. It's hard. And, I mean, when you look at it logically like that, it 100% makes sense because as well it depends what mood you're in what you're going through in your life when you read something Mm -hmm. but god it must be so hard still to have that rational thought process and be totally fine with it yeah it's a it's a challenge there you know there's a a handful of comments now and then that you know get screen grabbed and shared to the group chat going what's she talking about this is not this is not how that happened is wrong so <laughs> that you know that catharsis is helpful but yeah ultimately it's you know we all perceive things differently and there are things like um the publisher has very generously compared pieces of it to things like Fleabag which is a masterpiece of, of storytelling but Fleabag itself is a very layered thing so if they took you know the complex characterism um characterization, I'm sorry, of Fleabag and tried to find that in my novel. They might not find it in the same way or maybe it's, um, yeah, it's just we don't all respond to the same things the same way and that's that's fine. It doesn't not hurt but it's fine. And there have been many good reviews as well. Yeah, of and course, is, and you forget I've about I thoroughly enjoyed it. And not just saying that because I'm talking to you right now and it would be awkward to say otherwise, but no, I 100% did. And like I said to you, the fact that I became so passionate and so involved with Penny, Mm -hmm. I got teary towards the end during one of her therapy sessions. I'm like, I've responded to this. Like it's affected me in some way, which means it's really good writing and you've done so well. And I mean, to kick that goal by the time you turn 30 and then go on to get it published is just so well done. So from here, what's next? Have you set a new goal or are you just happy plodding away writing or are you done? (laughs) Uh, um, So it was another lovely thing that's happened with the publishing process is that this book was offered, um, I was offered a two-book deal with HarperCollins, which I didn't learn until afterwards is quite a massive feat. So um, that's nice. Uh, But yeah, book two is due in about seven weeks. So I have, you know, a lot of panicking and, you know, 2am writing sessions to get done before before that's done. So that is the short term goal to get that finished. Um, Are you sticking in the same style? Same style, same same. Let me start again. Um, Same style, same genre, different characters. I think Penny's story is nicely wrapped up, at least for the foreseeable. I need to leave that poor woman alone to enjoy her life for, you know, at least 10 years. Um, So new characters. um, And I was quite worried about having only one story to tell. So I decided to go in the complete opposite direction 
from Penny just to make sure that there weren't too many similarities between them. And this one is about a serial monogamist who takes a year off dating and doesn't do it very well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to go from, yeah, that very um, needy character who desperately wanted to be loved to a character who wanted to figure things out on her own and wanted to enjoy being on her own in a way that Penny was never going to be able to do. Um, so I'm about 70% of the way through that one. Um, and today is a good day for it, but not every day is a good day for <laughs> dare I ask what felt like it was more pressure the the goal of getting it done by your 30 or a deadline that's been given to you by a publisher definitely the latter Um, (laughs) I you know I can disappoint myself and rationalize that and I've got a you know I've got a therapist to talk to about whether or not it's okay that I did or didn't meet those goals Um, having a contracted deadline is much scarier Um, and also you know everything lovely that people have said about no hard feelings. Now I feel that I have to match or top with the second one. Um, So a lot of pressure and a lot of crying. (laughs) You wouldn't be alone there. So what's, I guess, we've got aspiring writers listening. They may have their debut book out or they may still be in the earlier stages. What would be the biggest piece of advice that you could pass on, be it something that advice someone's given you that's made a difference or something that you've picked up yourself along the way? Um, I think the kind of the best advice that I have or the most valuable experience that I've taken from it is being friends with other writers in a similar position. So um, through just, you know, Instagram, uh, basically, I've become friends with a handful of other debut authors in this genre. And it's so lovely to be able to share that experience with them, whether we're, you know, miserable about where our manuscripts are at, maybe where um, we've got a lovely review and there's someone that we can share it with in a way that they really understand how important it is to get nice feedback or how tricky it is to navigate a piece of tricky feedback. That sense of community is really, really helpful and makes the whole process seem a lot less daunting and lonely. So, um, yeah, whether you've just had a book come out or it's about to come out or you're just thinking about getting it done, that community has been really, really helpful. And I'm really glad that I have it now because I didn't through most of the writing process. That is so great to hear. Genevieve Novak, thank you so much for sharing everything with us. No Hard Feelings is well and truly available now and I hope people run out to get it. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. And thank you for listening to the Writers Off The Page podcast. Make sure you check out the back catalogue and while you're there, I'd love it if you left a rating or review. It helps other people discover the podcast. If there's an author you want me to chat to or you just want to say hi, hit me up on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter at Sinead Maripodi. That's C-H-E-N-E-E. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.